you're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash. I'm Algernon Cash, and you're locked in. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me. Got another great episode for you today. We're going to be talking with Congressman Mark Walker. He just made a big announcement this week. I know many of you have heard about it. I've gotten lots of questions and text messages, and some of you even saw me in the video. I was in the campaign video. I did make a quick cameo, so I was proud to do that. So thank you all for noticing that. I see the video has gotten shared quite a bit out there, so we certainly appreciate you helping to get the word out about the campaign. But before we get to Mark, just a couple of quick updates for you that I do want to hit on before we get into the main conversation. Do want to let you know that today's conversation is sponsored by Angela Harriet over at Keller Williams. So if you are thinking about buying or selling a home, I know the real estate market is extremely active right now. And if you're thinking about getting into the housing market, you want to call Angela Harriet at Keller Williams. She's a supporter of the show. She's supporting this episode. And I would like for all my audience and my friends to support her. So once again, reach out to Angela Harriet at Keller Williams. I also want to let you know that our prayers and thoughts ought to be with Congressman Ted Budd. We found out this week that Congressman Budd was diagnosed with COVID. I have talked to him on a couple of occasions. He is still working. He's out on the farm in Davie County. I've texted back and forth with him. He actually called me yesterday. I'm, I hate to admit that I actually missed his phone call. So Ted, if you're out there right now, I apologize for that. But we need to be thinking about him and his family and certainly keeping him within our prayers. And then also, um, you heard me talk a little bit about this the other day, but I just want to mention it once again, because it is relative. We did lose a, a great patriot in Greensboro in the last few days, Troy Lawson, who was the first African-American chair of the Guilford County Republican Party, not only a great community leader and activist, but a friend of mine. He had ran for office a couple of times, and we just knew that at any moment he was going to get in there. And so he will be uh, sorely missed not only um, you know here in Greensboro, but around our county area. So keep your thoughts and prayers, Troy Lawson and his family as well. So with that said, we're going to kick off into the discussion. I know Congressman Mark Walker, you knew Troy Lawson very well yourself. So how did that news hit you? You know, I was very surprised to hear that. I had a chance to talk with Stephanie uh, a little later that day and very blessed to be able to share some thoughts uh, this Sunday. I think he's got a funeral service there to Mount Pisgah Church, the other corner of Pisgah Church in Lawndale. They have an outside service. So I was I was blown away with it. Troy is somebody that I knew or got to know as somebody who was just an incre- incredible uh, public servant. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that would go in and make phone calls and uh, do some great things. And uh, my heart goes out to their family. And as, as, as you so eloquently said, uh, as far as just lifting this guy families up and praying for them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation with Commissioner Phillips on the day that it happened, just trying to get better insight as to what happened. And so, yeah, definitely um, just just thinking about his family. You know, Mark, I appreciate you locking in with me. Um, sure. Thank you for, for jumping on the show. For my audience, if you have any questions or comments that you may want me to work into the conversation, you can simply leave them in the chat section and um, I'll see them pop up and I'll certainly try to work them in as we as we make our way through this conversation. So, Congressman, you just had a big announcement. You obviously um, had an announcement several months back when your district got redrawn. You decided not to run for the House. Obviously, the, you, you still must have the political bug because you're jumping back in for another seat. But before we talk about what you want to do um, in, in the Senate, let's just take a moment to reflect back on your time in the House. Help my audience understand how do you feel like your, your time in the House has been? What, what do you feel like some of your big accomplishments were? 
Uh, Algernon, thanks for the opportunity to be with you today and, and to talk about that. And the, really the two go hand in hand as far as what we've accomplished and what we want to continue to do. And as, as I look back, uh, there are some major policy wins. Uh, we were the first member to pass legislation of the 114th class anti-human trafficking. It was something that's been very important to me. We've done some statewide events to bring some more attention and awareness to that. Uh, I think of some of the tax reform. Uh, and, and then I think of some, some of the more unique things. I remember when... Um, I decided to say, hey, you know what? Republicans need to do a better job of reaching out to our HBCU families. And North Carolina, as your audience may know, has the most HBCUs of any in the country. So I had the idea of inviting all 101 HBCU chancellors to Washington, D.C. Uh, and somebody said, well, they're not going to show up. Well, 87 of them did. And from that, we were able to get some policies like year-round Pell Grants done. Uh, we were able to start the discussion and eventually get permanent funding passed. So a lot of good things there uh, that really come from genuine relationships over the years. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord that I've had the last six years to get in there and maybe do things a little bit differently than what traditionally Republican that we've had, because I've often thought this, Algernon, that the relationship should come before the policy. Uh, in other words, you haven't earned the right to come in and say, hey, this program's better for this community or that community until you've been invested in the community showing up. Sometimes that means you may not be the keynote speaker, but be there and be supportive. And God will open up some doors to be able to really work some things for uh, for many of these communities in the future. And, you know, when you announced your um, that you weren't running for your, your seat again, I, I know that was sort of anticipated because the seat, the, the district itself had been redrawn and making it much, right. much harder for a Republican to win there. Um, talk to us a little bit about the political strategy. Was the retirement more hinged upon the redrawing of the district or, you know, at the time, did you already know you sort of wanted to make the move to the upper chamber or were you really just thinking it was time to get out of out of the out of politics at the moment? Uh, no, that's, that's a great question. Uh, uh, better than some of the reporters' questions up here. So the uh, uh, the thing that really drove me, I started thinking about this about a year and a half uh, when uh, Senator Burr and I, we fly up a lot from Greensboro to DCA, uh, the Washington, D.C. airport. And we've been talking about this really for a couple of years that he wasn't going to run again. And I began to think about it and pray about it. Met with the president, the Oval Office, with Vice President Pence at the time, Mick Mulvaney. We began to kind of lay the game plan for this. Uh, then on top of that, uh, when the district was redrawn uh, in, in the political world, they, they would call it a D-18. Uh, Jerry Kushner did come and talk to me about running in the race because strictly he talked about our relationships with many of our minority communities. And, and he thought that might be a helpful. But I, I, I thought that I would eventually do this anyway. So what we decided to do is not necessarily retire, but save our resources to begin to move for a race the consultants have told me will be the most expensive U.S. Senate race in history, topping $300 million. So so that's kind of where we are today. We're at peace about the decision and uh, looking forward to moving forward. Really, this is in God's hands. So, uh, you know, how do you eat a 300-pound or 1,000-pound elephant one bite at a time, right? So, so that's where we are right now and just praying for God's guidance. You, you just touched on something I think is is fairly important and um, probably some of the questions that I've gotten, you know, as ever since Senator Burr announced that he wasn't going to run for reelection. I think you're right. This will be certainly one of the most watched races in the country. I know the Tillis Cunningham race was was very closely watched. One hundred and fifty million dollars spent on that race. When you look at all the outside groups, um, you know, I, I think most people are anticipating that, that this race is going to have a very crowded field. Uh, especially from the Republican side. What are you hearing in that regard? I mean, who, who, do you, who do you think you may be seeing in that primary race? 
Yeah, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I, I could play coy here, and I, like I don't hear the same names that you guys hear, whether it's uh, former Governor McCroy or uh, Laura Trump or some others. Uh, but that's not a deterrent for me. When I decided to run for Congress and prayed and process this, there was a 30-year incumbent that was in the office and uh, retired six months after we announced. And then uh, with no disrespect, we had to take on the most powerful Republican family in the state of North Carolina. So uh, whoever decides to get in the race is not a factor in the sense of whether I feel led to do this or not, uh, is a different factor as far as how challenging it might be. It could be. Uh, but but we're the only ones to announce right now. There's some scuttlebutt about other names as well. But listen, we're, we're doing this because it's in our heart, not because it's politically expedient. Yeah, I know there's a lot of names that are being floated around. I saw the New York Times article related to Laura Trump um, name name being floated around. I'm just interested to get your reaction to this. I, w- when I read that article, I, I had a couple of different thoughts. Um, one, I've always lived here in North Carolina. I know North Carolina is very protective. I just don't think they want to elect a senator that doesn't actually live here and ha- hasn't been fully vested here. I, that's just Algernon Cash speaking. I, that's my, my thought when I read the article. Yeah, and then even as, I, even as I read the article, it felt more like um, it, it wasn't something that maybe she was pushing as much as it was almost like the media was just trying to get sort of a story angled in there. What, what was your reaction to the New York Times piece? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, pretty much the same uh, impression. They, I talked to them uh, yesterday morning, uh, Tuesday morning, excuse me. Uh, it might have been Tuesday afternoon after we announced, uh, and they had some questions there. But, but as I said to them, it's not illegal for somebody to move from New York to North Carolina to run for Senate. Um, but I, I, would, I would be surprised as far as North Carolinians and see if that's something, I'm not throwing any shade to the family. I'm just saying, you know, you have to know the difference between the triangle and triad to maybe run for U.S. Senate. Uh, and, and so we'll see what happens with that. But like I said earlier, uh, I'm going to do something because it's in my heart, not because I'm thinking all the political winds are blowing the right direction. We hope they do. But regardless, we're committed to this. Well, yeah, you want to win. This this isn't the, the kind of journey you get on to lose. So um, you certainly want to be victorious at the end. Um, you know, North Carolina is also a really purple state. You know, we we saw that with our most recent election. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Trump won at the top of the ticket. Um, um, Forrest lost at, at the at the gubernatorial level. But, right. you know, um, Republicans took six out of 10 council of state positions. Democrats yeah. took four out of 10. So it's just a really interesting political dynamic in, in, in North Carolina. As you get more into the race, why do you want to be the senator from North Carolina? What are you, what are you hoping to get done for North Carolinians in the upper chamber? That's a great question, and it should be the fundamental question. Here's why. I believe that, through my experiences, God has a, a uniquely equipped me to be able to take this message of individual liberty and opportunity and prosperity to not just a base, I'm not running from the base, that's it's very important, but, but if we truly believe, those that have my political ideology, if we truly, truly believe that that's the best path for all communities, then why the heck aren't we taking it there? And that's what I feel called to do, and I'm using the word called, uh, and that's what we've been able to accomplish for six years. So as I'm running or thinking about running for U.S. Senate, I don't have to go out and make these empty veiled promises. This is something that we've already been doing, whether it's opportunity zones, whether it's some of the tax reform, all the different things that that we feel like that doesn't just impact one group or one segment of our population. I'm not afraid to talk about impoverished communities or underprivileged communities. I'm not have a problem talking about the difference in the criminal justice reform, how a 16-year-old African-American male 
might have a different path than a Caucasian 16-year-old male that both pulled over for the same charges. Republicans need to talk about that. We need to embrace that. And, and, and even some of the Republicans, and, and, I, and I don't know that they're, they, they have ill will in their hearts, but if you talk about some of the t- statistics, let me just get there raw if I could. You talk about black-on-black crime, right? How many times do Republicans use that as a political club as opposed to having a heartbreak for communities who are struggling and suffering with some of these areas? If Republicans really want to be taken as authentic across the board, the way you look at these issues, the way you talk about it, the sensitivity level, I'm not saying you you don't run from the truth, but ultimately, as people of faith, what's our true mission here? And that's what drives me. I'm very passionate, as you can probably tell about this. We've had some success over the last six years, and I want to continue to take it statewide. No, I think that's very powerful. And one of the things that um, I, I, you know, I didn't see, I, I saw the full campaign video or campaign announcement, just just like everyone else did. I, I saw my little segment when I went out there that, that day. Um, but but the feedback that I've gotten about your video, and, and I think this is very true, it, it, it is very diverse. You know, it's about four and a half minutes of, of just a lot of diversity from African-Americans to, um, you know, you got Mike Huckabee in there. I, I think I, I saw, saw a Native American in there. I mean, it's just a yes. really diverse and, and, and unified message. How much of that is strategy and how much of that is just, you know, being genuine? If it was strategy, I'd have had to go recruit these people. If it's genuine, and it is, these people are already friends of mine. I, I didn't have to go out and hire actors or people. Uh, it's interesting, we had, uh, and I didn't think about it until it was over, the nurse is a Lumbee Indian, and then you have the principal chief of the Cherokee Indians in the same video. Uh, but these are people that I love and that I care about, and I feel it's reciprocal. But you, you don't go out and just do a bunch of photo ops and then move on for the next two to six years. These are relationships that you continue to cultivate, that you work, not for the political gain, but because it's the right thing to do. And and I think if more of us viewed it from that perspective as almost a mission-minded uh, direction, I think in the political arena, we would have much more success about earning the right to talk about our differences. If you're just now joining the show, you're a little late to the party, but I'm Algernon Cash. You're locked in. I'm locked in. And also locked in with us is Congressman Mark Walker. Um, Congressman Walker currently represents the 6th District in North Carolina, but he just had a huge announcement this past Tuesday, and he is seeking um, a candidacy for the North Carolina Senate in 2022. So if you have any questions or comments, certainly leave those in the chat section, and we will work them into the conversation. You, you talked a little bit about the, the party just a moment ago. I want to go back to that because I, sure. I do believe there's a bit of dysfunction inside of the party right now, and, and par- part of it is... Um, I, I think with the rise of Trump over the last four years, he did bring a lot of new people into the party that wasn't necessarily there before. You've got the more traditional establishment Republicans that are still trying to wrestle for control of the party. Right. Um, what 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 is your perspective of the party right now? I mean, are, what what do we need to do to reach that that objective that you just so eloquently described? Well, I I think for me. Uh, well, yes, we I'll address both things for, for, for me. I'm a person of faith. I'm a Christian first. Right. So that should drive my politics and everything else uh, for the party in general. Um, I think what they have to understand is and I'm, I'm trying to choose or articulate my words carefully. There's a mindset out there that uh, let's come up with some new program and then minorities will like us. Well, what they forget is the conduit to build the conduit of how that policy is delivered. 
if there's no authenticity, if you've never shown up, if you don't know the names of the different pastors or community leaders or people in the different communities, uh, Hispanic, African-American, Latino, whatever it might be, if you don't know these people, then how are they going to trust you to be able to bring some new policy or program or your political ideology? And that's why I'm such a big believer that the relationship is the conduit for good policy. If there's no relationship, you haven't earned the right or trust to be able to come in and say, hey, I got a better idea. Or have you looked at this? And this mindset that, hey, your communities are bad, there's poverty, there's this, some of the statistical data, that may be true, but, but what's your approach to help resolve some of that? And I think that's where the party has to come to grips. We have the data that leftist progressive policies are bad specifically in the minority communities. In, in fact, uh, home ownership under the Obama administration went down all eight years in a row in North Carolina among African-American community. Well, what are you going to do about that? How do you address that? Uh, and that's where I feel like Republicans, conservatives, just people in general have to be able to understand we will not resolve these issues without not just fake political relationships, but with genuine heartfelt relationships. No, I think you're, you're spot on. A, a mutual friend of ours, um, Clarence Henderson, he and I you know, are always talking. And um, one thing that we, we really firmly agree on is that economic mobility and to some degree economic inequality is the civil rights issue of the 21st century. I mean, when you look at the income, wealth, and home ownership gaps right now in um, black families compared to their white counterparts, um, we're still stuck at 1970 levels. Um, yes. So yep. it, it, it is certainly something that we need to look at. And I, and I agree with you. I think that the um, 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 liberal policies of the 1960s enacted under LBJ um, that, that, that created you know, massive subsidized housing, which concentrated poverty, concentrated crime, um, really destroyed a lot of black communities and black neighborhoods. And, and and the way to get out of that, or the way I believe to get out of that, is through more conservative policymaking. And I want to tell my audience, too, there's a project that I've been working on that Congressman Walker is really aware of. Um, Clarence Henderson and I have been working to launch the, the Black Conservative Alliance. Um, Clarence has actually agreed to be our state director here in North Carolina. If you don't know Clarence Henderson, go look that name up. He was a 1960s um, civil rights activist, um, helped help break the We'll learn more about Clarence and certainly check out what we're doing with the uh, Black Conservative Alliance. But, um, you know, I, I want to stay a little bit on this 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 question about the party there, here recently in the last week or so. We've seen some um, Trump supporters actually calling on Republican voters to boycott elections going forward um, simply because of some of the allegations of electoral fraud. What's your reaction to, to a call like that? Yeah, I think that's kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, that doesn't do anybody good. And, and, and I can tell you, as a member of Congress, uh, we need to have some kind of firewall checks and balances on, on this potential new administration. Uh, if you've got Nancy Pelosi uh, fast-tracking things to Chuck Schumer, who's sending them on to uh, what I believe is going to be a pretty progressive administration, uh, that that's damaging. So we need everybody to engage, in, you know, from my perspective, political perspective in Georgia to at least to have some kind of filtration process, if you will, uh, because we are at a place now on the House that AOC and her group, if something legislation is going to get passed, they have to cut deals because specifically now Pelosi lost about a dozen seats. Her leadership's only down four or five. 
So we need these senators to be able to be in place to, to, to maybe hold the line. We don't we don't need to uh, pack the courts. We don't need to do, to do away with filibusters. And that's something that uh, the left has already said. The Democrats have said they would do not to try to be overpartisan. I'm just telling you my take on this. Uh, so I think it's a crazy idea. Let me say it that way. I think it's completely ludicrous that people would boycott the Georgia Senate race knowing what's at stake. You, you, you talk a little bit about um, Schumer and Pelosi. We, we are getting dangerously close to a potential government shutdown. I believe December 11th is the, the yep. day. Um, you guys end the session on December 18th. Um, what are you hearing up there on, on Capitol Hill? I mean, are, are we going to get a deal in time or what, what do you think may happen? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm more hopeful today than I was yesterday. Uh, we are getting words, and, I, and I'm literally just within steps of the Capitol. I, anytime I'm talking about campaign, I have to be off federal property, so I'm across the street right now. But, uh, but we're hearing that she may be getting pressure from inside her own moderate Democrats to say, Speaker Pelosi, you need to get on this or you're going to walk us off the cliff like you did the other dozen moderates uh, from the last election. Uh, we're ready to go. But what we have been trying to hold the line is originally, and as I said, she's backing off on this. She had hundreds of billions of dollars to strictly end there, not to deal with COVID relief, but just to bail out some of the larger metro cities who have operated on failed fiscal policies for years. And we're saying we can have that argument later on. Let's get the relief to the restaurant association. Let's get the relief to the small businesses that are literally on life support if they've not already gone under some of these places. So, uh, we were told to be ready to stay through the weekend. Uh, I'll give that late breaking news there. We usually get out of here on Friday, stay through the weekend. We may have a vote on Monday to try to resolve some of this. I still can't give it a hundred percent because this is, these are factors like Pelosi and Schumer and McConnell and some of the people that are all uh, playing into this. Uh, we're ready to go. We, we, we have at least a good package to get out of the gates. It depends how they want to frame this politically, but hopefully to your point, Algina, hopefully to get some of the relief to these separate places. Do you, when you say package, do you think that that will be a just a standalone bill to keep the government operating, or do you think it's going to be a combined combined with some stimulus legislation too? As of right now, they are going to try to combine some things. If this thing continues to go out through next week, they may have to say we couldn't get it done. Let's just do the keep the government open particular. Sometimes they'll do a CR. I won't get to get into the weeds for your audience too much today, but hopefully that will get done. Um, I think both are scheduled on the docket. It's just a matter of if we can get some of these leaders around here to put the American people first as opposed to the politics. Well, we'll be praying for that um, because, as you know, I mean, there's so many people and, and I am in the restaurant business. My audience knows that. But, but quite frankly, there, there's so many small business owners, retailers, you name it, travel agents, insurance agents. They're all, they're all just suffering right now across the country. And I'm, I'm just getting even more and more concerned and worried about just ordinary people. I mean, you, you've got the eviction moratorium going away at the end of the month. People I, I read, a, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine this week that's in the housing industry. And he says, on average, um, tenants are at least five thousand dollars in the hole that they still owe their their landlords. So there, there's we we could, if, without a package, we could see a reckoning in January that that could wipe out a lot of businesses, um, cause a lot of people to go homeless. And um, I, I know that's not something you want, and um, right. I don't think that's what anybody in Congress wants. I just think sometimes the politics sort of gets in the way and prevents us from doing what what's what's just helpful and right. Um, but yeah, thank you for that reaction. I guess one of my last questions before we get ready to let you go, um, we, I know you've got somewhat of a close relationship with the president and um, 
I, I know this is a tough time. Have you had any conversation with the president since the election? What's the what's the mood of the White House right now? Uh, it's it's pretty intense over there, uh, as you would might imagine. Uh, I, I think he continues to get different consultation from different parts of his team uh, to be able to say, how do you play this out? Uh, I, I fully think he's entitled to, to run through the legal process there. Uh, it is interesting that uh, from, uh, from 1984 to 2016, that's nine elections, uh, 32 years, that the popular winning popular vote was about 15 million which is the exact amount, almost the amount that it increased in just one election. So when you first look at this, you go, wow, this is some pretty startling numbers. Yet at the same time, you have to trust uh, the system that, that, that we're responsible for maintaining as the ranking member on uh, uh, intelligence and uh, counterterrorism. One of the things that we monitor are, are cyber attacks or other people that are playing in our elections. What we have seen, we've been able to keep off any outside entities but I think the big decision on this, the, the without I'm getting talking too much here, these these mail out ballots, we've got to make sure long term is that something that you can do, and guarantee that that there's no fraudulent behavior, and that's where the debate is, and that's where the debate will be the next two years and the next four years. But as far as the president, I think I, I would hope that he would make a decision of which way to go over the next week to ten days. No, I think that's very helpful. Um, you know, Congressman, there's several people watching right now. They may want to um, they may want to get they may want to reach out to you. In fact, Michael Owens just said, I live in the new sixth district, so could not vote for Representative Walker, but I would have. And um, that being said, um, he was asking, can you talk a little bit about what section of the mm -hmm. Constitution allows for um, Congress to do these stimulus bills? Uh, what area of the Constitution? Yeah, any any time that the government imposes parameters or restrictions that limit your individual freedom, you make the argument, you can make the argument that it's also government's responsibility to be able to offer some tax incentives, some tax breaks, so whatever it might be, to allow some of these small businesses or others to be able to merge back into it. Uh, it, it to, to say that it's specifically in the Constitution there's no, there's no article that does, but there's no article that prevents it as well. And I know that, uh, uh, that some of the PPP packages uh, in a pandemic uh, have been large. Uh, you're talking about a guy from a fiscal responsibility. I voted against the omnibus. I voted against a lot of the spending packages. But this was a unique situation that many people were suffering. And how do we be able to allow those folks to create revenue, which then keeps our tax base up that we can fund the government. So it's a, it's a full circle. Uh, it's hard to pick and choose sometimes, but I believe ultimately this is the right thing to do to make sure that because of the state and federal restrictions that we are creating an on-ramp to keep these, uh, keep these small businesses in other places, at least on life support for right now. I, I agree with you. And just so you know, Michael Owens is a ranking officer with the Forsyth County Republican party. He's a good friend. And, um, but he's a strict constitutionalist. And he, <laughs> and so I think that's why he wanted to get that question in there. Congressman, if someone wanted to volunteer or just sign up to get updates about the, the Senate campaign, where do they go? What do they do? I appreciate it. We'd love to have all this support moving into this next year. It's Walker, the number four, nc.com. Again, Walker, the number four, nc.com. Shoot us an email. We do a pretty good job of following back up with whoever reaches out to us. Congressman, I appreciate you locking in, man. I know we'll be talking a lot more um, and also appreciate your service up in Washington. Algin, appreciate all you do for the community. You, you, you've walked the walk and not just talked the talk. So thanks for all you do.
Yes, sir. Have a good day now. Take care. Take um, care I appreciate you all for locking in with me as well. This is another great episode. Certainly, if you enjoy what you heard, there's a little button down there. You can click like. You can share it with a friend that maybe wasn't able to join us today. We will have this conversation on the YouTube channel. So hopefully you're a subscriber. If you're not, go do that. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. That way you get notifications anytime we do new content. Um, Also, as you know, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm all over the place. So make sure you connect with me. You can always shoot me messages. If you have ideas for the show, I certainly would like to hear them. If there are people you want me to try to interview, I would certainly like to get them to lock in with us. So keep that in mind. Also, we are in the holiday season. And some of you may not actually want to cook this season. I know I, I like to eat, but I don't like to cook. So if you don't like to cook, I want you to go check out JNS Cafeteria, 5835 Samit Drive. They got all your holiday meals need holiday meals this season. You don't have to do the cooking. Let them do the cooking. You go pick it up. You spend time with your family, with the kids, opening the presents, doing all the fun stuff. Let them do all the work and the hard stuff. And when you call JNS, I'm gonna, I need you to do me a favor. You got to tell them Algernon Cash sent you because if I, if they know you're my friend, they're gonna take really good care of you. So that's JNS Cafeteria. I want you to let them do your holiday cooking. Until next time, y'all stay locked in. The executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.